And first, I'm sorry for my bad English. Eh? Seventy-four of the Yellow Wallpot. This is your host Stefan Butzko, as always, and I'm joined by Mr. Konstantin Eckner for this episode. Hello, Konstantin. Hi. What's up? Not not much, since it's just us two for this show. Since everyone else on this panel has forsaken us, that's mm -hmm. how it is. You know, it's just a drab three-nil win against Wolfsburg. Nobody seems to be excited for this show, so it's only us two. Konstantin, you uh, just opened a can of Red Bull before we started the show. <laughs> no product placement, but I don't care. So uh, I hope you will stay awake for the next two hours. <laughs> yeah, since since we are recording uh, like 2 a.m. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, 9.30 in Dortmund right now. And uh, where are you right now, Edinburgh? Near Edinburgh, yeah, right. Yeah, where it's 8.30. 8.30. <laughs> obviously so uh not not too late um but anyway you will probably listen to that uh, at a different time so good morning or good day or good evening or even good night i don't care if you're cleaning out your barn or doing the dishes or whatever uh <laughs> we get a lot of feedback of uh, things people do while listening to the show it's really really interesting but um yeah we are here to talk about Bruce Dortmund's 3-0 win against Wolfsburg and we will preview the Bundesliga match against Freiburg and also the cup game against Sportfreunde Lotte, although I must admit uh, there are not too many things I can say about Lotte. I hope, Konstantin, you can help me out there. I'm fully prepared. <laughs> All right. I'll uh, take you on your word for that later on. Um, meanwhile, Borussia Mönchengladbach just considered the second goal against Fiorentina. If you want to know when we are recording this precisely so um yeah without any further ado it's it's time to uh talk about Wolfsburg um it's a very straightforward 3-0 win Konstantin since Lars isn't here I will ask you about a general observation or takeaway or whatever you thought about the game well Wolfsburg is just bad and I mean like Skripnik Werder Bremen bad. Um, that's my biggest takeaway because like Dortmund won decisively 3-0. Uh, it looks like uh, a great achievement for for uh, Dortmund, but at the end it was just like okay, Dortmund is a, is a good team, and Wolfsburg is just awful, and, and that what happened. When, you know what's what's weird? Hmm? Dortmund lost on the previous match there in the Bundesliga 2-1 against Darmstadt. And then the 3-0 win against Wolfsburg. I personally feel like Wolfsburg and Darmstadt completely switched souls. I mean, Darmstadt obviously always suffice your opposition. Mm -hmm. yeah. But looking at the 6-0 win back in the, in the, in the earlier this season, Dortmund also had a pretty comfortable win. But isn't it telling and almost scary how poor Wolfsburg were 
Oh yeah, of course. Uh, and I don't think they they switch souls because like at this point, uh, Wolfsburg doesn't possess an identity. That's really a problem. <laughs> or a soul, yeah, for that or matter. soul maybe. Nothing, I don't know, but, but identity switch. from a from a sporting uh, standpoint because like when you watch the match, you really could figure out that. Like they were trying something, they had some ideas, but at the end it didn't work out. It was just, um, it, it was like decent at the beginning, I think, as far as the defending went. But then it just, when, when Dortmund figured out, uh, how to advance, uh, especially through, through the left side, um, then it was all over and, and just Wolfsburg collapsed. Uh, and you mentioned Darmstadt, Darmstadt at least, they, uh, like, they on the foundation of their of their system, they applied a, a more aggressive pressing concept, and so like they didn't sacrifice uh, their like idea of football, uh, but you know turned it up to eleven, and Wolfsburg is just you know uh, soul searching now. You are probably right; it's, they don't really <laughs> have an identity under uh, Ismail, and um, uh, it's it's really interesting how. How things can turn out because remember when and Dortmund lost to Wolfsburg in the German Cup final. That was like yep. at this point you thought, uh, okay, uh, Wolfsburg is just a great team. They were run up in the Bundesliga. Uh, that th- this great squad at the point of Perisic, they were running Russia over over opponents, and now look at Wolfsburg and where they are. Yeah, I mean they're on 14th place on the table, just three points away from a. From the relegation playoff spot, which are, which is currently occupied by Werder Bremen. Um, <laughs> so apparently in Northern Germany, things are not going smoothly. Um, yeah, they, Wolfsburg applied, uh, what was it? A 5-3-2 system. And it was very passive and they just came to defend. But the problem is Dortmund, uh, dissected them so easily because Wolfsburg never really put any pressure whatsoever in Dortmund and Konstantin. I've heard you saying on this show so many times already, and I think everyone else on this panel as well, is that when you do not put pressure on Dortmund, be it a high press or a low press, either way, you will concede goals. And, uh, you know, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang once again wasted a couple of chances. Um, But in the end, uh, it was inevitable. There was only one winner, and Dortmund really were the driving force. In, in this game, and obviously after two bad results, they, they needed to show up, and that's just what they did, and yeah. I mean, there are not too many things to say about this performance, just because it was so one-sided. Um. <laughs> right, uh, so you mentioned that Wolfsburg applied um, a 5 3 one, one shape, something like that. Uh, like Mali wasn't really a, a second striker next to Gomez. You were more like a number. Yeah, Mario Gomez was basically standing in the center circle half the game and doing nothing because there was zero service. It was like right. he was, uh, but, I don't know, <laughs> not moving. It's wieder wundgelegen. Yeah, how, how Mehmet Scholl put it uh, yeah. a few years ago. Um, so what happened was that Wolfsburg, uh, had three center backs, uh, Luis Gustavo in the middle, Ricardo Rodriguez and Puma, uh, next to him. And those two, like the, when Rodriguez, um, tried to mark Dembele, if I remember correctly, and then Puma Castro, or maybe they switched sometime. Um, so 
So you sacrifice your center backs to move forward to uh, cover Manmark, the opposing center midfielders. That was really what happened. At the beginning, it worked decently. So um, especially Dortmund, of course, tried to uh, build up uh, through the left side with uh, Bartra, who's, of course, a great build-up player. I mean, he's not that great at, like, pure defending, but, you know. Um, he's, he's, he's decent. He's, he's, he's good. He has potential in the build-up play. So they, they try to come through the left side with, uh, Bartra and Schmelzer and Kastro moved to the, to the left. Um, and Puma followed him really closely. Uh, so at, at the beginning, I think Kastro was isolated in a few situations. But when Dortmund figure out that they just have to move like 10, 15 yards forward and then start building up and Bartra at once with the ball, um, then, uh, Arnold had to move, move towards Bartra or Schmelzer. Schmelzer also moved, of course, a little bit forward then. Um, Arnold had to move to, towards Bartra. And then there was just this big hole in the middle where, where Puma had to cover Castro and a lot of space. So, and that's when just Dortmund decided to, okay, we can run through the, uh, this zone and then create a lot of, uh, danger up front. Um, so I think, yeah, on paper, it was a, a, like a back five, but when you think about it, it was like Luis Gustavo as a center back. And then you got like two other center backs who were running wild in the middle of, of the field. Um, so yeah, at the end, it was just Wolfsburg. As I said, they are still like, like looking for, for a new identity. Uh, because like under hacking, they were really like a four, two, three, one team, uh, relying on individual quality. Um, and now it's, it's something else. I don't know really know what it is, uh, but it's not something you really can remember. That's like the, the, the biggest problem, I guess. We, we don't really can, uh, judge Wolfsburg because there's no, nothing really to judge. It's just, uh, you know, idea here, idea there. Maybe it's something, but also misjudgment, uh, from, from Ismail's part, I think. And so, yeah. Um, and Dortmund, as I said, uh, they, they weren't like, absolutely uh great at, at what they did but they were just you know doing their part and working like they should work in, in a match like that and, and that was enough to beat Wolfsburg 3-0 and just move on uh, the, um the the funny thing is that when Dortmund beat uh Leipzig I thought yeah maybe they will drop some points in the next few matches because that, that's what Dortmund does uh, these days, I guess. It's just, you, you have a big win over a, a title contender, more or less, in, in Leipzig. And then you will, uh, of course, drop some points because you, you just, you know, shoot yourself in the foot. Um, and then they, they drop the points to Darmstadt, which was really, like, surprising. Uh, and, and, and then they, like, won over Wolfsburg. So it's, it's really also a part of Dortmund's weird season, I think. Yeah, well, I, I think it's also part of, of Wolfsburg's weird season that they oh, sure. show up like that. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was funny that, um, the penalty of this, the, the South stand ban, uh, let's put it this way, that the, you know, not yellow wall, but gray wall. So this is the gray wall part this week, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that, uh, it, it came against Wolfsburg because traditionally Wolfsburg just don't bring a lot of fans and usually they move up to the northeast end, uh, meaning up in the, in the corner, leaving the, uh, 
the away end open for Dortmund fans. That didn't only happen exclusively because the yellow wall was closed, but uh, just because Wolfsburg usually just don't bring enough fans to fill that end, and so it's open for Dortmund fans. So that there, there was there was a portion of of Dortmund standing areas that created some atmosphere. But nevertheless, if you're a Wolfsburg and you know this huge intimidating yellow wall isn't there to to maybe help the team or, or whatnot you know you probably should try a little bit more than they did i mean they were very happy in in, in sitting back and uh yeah playing a very reactive style but i mean the went in after 20 minutes yeah jeffrey Brumer. <laughs> i don't know about you constantine but i felt like that was half intentional by him the way his his uh, head moved, it looked a little odd, but um, it was avoidable, I guess, uh, because yeah, it was really really something uh, like when a striker is in the in the box of his own team and then just you know scores an own goal, and you think for a second maybe for it was like in the opposing penalty box, yeah, reflex, um, <laughs> yeah, just a reflex. I have to have to score a goal. There's like there's an opening. I have to do that. Uh, but he's a center back, so I know what what he was thinking. I don't know. Sometimes, I mean, it, it went pretty quickly. It wasn't like he was sure. too far away from, from Pischek, who was a little lucky to uh, grab the assist. I don't know. Does it even count as an assist? I don't know. But, uh, my point was actually after 20 minutes, you still have 70 minutes time to, uh, yeah, start something. But Wolfsburg didn't really start really playing football until the uh, 40th minute for a couple of minutes where they, uh, where Dortmund started to relax and, and, became a bit complacent i would say and then again after Antep came on in the uh, what was it 60th minute but then it was already 3-0 and the game was more or less over so um yeah before we talk about Dortmund we really do have to point out how poor Do Wolfsburg there because that was just a complete non-performance and i was really really shocked to see how how bad you can be and it was basically a perfect slump buster for Dortmund. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned um the the yellow wall, the grey wall this time. Um there was really something, I think it was an an interesting picture, uh or an interesting image, uh when you looked at like the empty uh stands there it's like it's a big just a big real estate, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> much space there. Uh yeah, of course twenty thousand I think, twenty thousand people. Um, 25,000. 25,000, sorry. I always say 20,000. I don't know why. Um, I once thought there were 20,000 and since then it's just, yeah, what, what, <laughs> it's in my mind. Yeah. 25,000 people, like all there, every home game, um, when, when Dortmund plays. And do, when you looked uh, like at the TV pictures, um, it was like, when, when, I don't know, the, the German listeners will, will probably know that when you lo uh, watch uh, local broadcasters, uh, what's called in Germany, die, die Dritten, uh, like the local broadcasters here, and, and you have a match in the third or fourth division, and there's a, a team that maybe dropped down a, a few leagues because of whatever, for whatever reason, and they play still in their old big stadium, but it's almost empty. Uh, like they don't have the fans to fill the stadium. It looked like that, like like a, a, a match in the the fourth division also, where, where yeah, or, or in, in the second division. Just look at I don't know Kaiserslautern for example. Or yeah, or yeah, right, or something like that. But yeah, but I remember when when uh, no no big club um, played in the Leipzig 
Zentralstadion, the Central Stadium in Leipzig. They, they had only fourth and fifth division clubs there. Um, and uh, I think Sachsen Leipzig, they played there uh, for a while, but, but it was almost empty. Like there was one place behind one goal that was, uh, filled and the rest was completely empty. Like the main stands empty, um, or almost empty apart from some media members and maybe some, some club representatives. Um, and it looked like that, you know, it's just a big stadium and it's, it's, it's empty and some people play football there. <laughs> it's just, of course, uh, all our stands were filled uh, and it was still a good atmosphere. Um, and yeah, it was, it was an, an episode, uh, in Dortmund's history. Yeah, uh, we, def we, we, definitely. You know what I found in interesting and I don't, I don't think it got a lot of attention, but Marcel Schmelzer said after the game in the mix zone that, um, uh, he said, you know, big compliment to the fans for creating a great atmosphere in the second half, but, uh, I would, uh, you know, on behalf of the team, he said, I would really uh, like that fans would actually create such atmosphere, you know, when it's still scoreless, like from the first minute on to, uh, yeah, support the team and, and not only when it's 3-0. Like, you know? he, he basically called Dortmund fans, you know, fair weather fans. Uh, you know, well. he was sugarcoating it, obviously, but, uh, he, he said that, you know, the young team basically needs to support and that you can see that, you know, if the atmosphere is good, that they get the push and that players on the field actually do sense it, even though they often say they are in their tunnel and whatnot. But, you know, Schmelzer just said that, you know, Dortmund fans should do a little more. And I thought that was really interesting because usually every little thing is big, is blown up, uh, you know, completely out of proportion here in Germany. You know, every little comment on Mario Götze apparently, but, you know, when Marcel Schmelzer actually criticizes the fans when the club captain tells the fans that the atmosphere is poor and in Dortmund, you know, usually a couple of alarm bells should go off there, but, yeah, didn't didn't see that too many. I don't know, it just didn't get the attention I thought it deserved. And I wonder if uh, fans will actually show a reaction and uh, if they do, will it be... Uh, a positive one, meaning uh, improving the atmosphere, and or will they maybe, uh, I don't know, sh show some kind of hostility towards Marcel Schmelzer because, you know, there's always the person who says, yes, um, fans could do more, and then there's also the person who says, yeah, fans are also people who just pay to watch football, and uh, the spark should come from the players and not the other way around. And, uh, you know... Who is the overpaid millionaire? They're saying things like that, you know. Who is he to say sh such things? So, um, yeah, that is something I I really uh, thought was in interesting that uh, a player would criticize the fans because that hasn't happened in in a while. And maybe for Schmelzer was a good opportunity to say these things. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Constantine? Yeah, I think that he's not wrong. Um, I don't want to say he's right, but he's not wrong. Uh, <laughs> to put it, to put it that so way. So you're uh, sitting on a fence that remained. Yeah. Empty. I mean, I remember, for instance, that the Augsburg match, um, was the last, I think it was the last game before the winter break. And it was, you know, following a few tours. And then they, they only, also only scored a tour against uh, Augsburg, uh, which was at that point not really. A team that should uh, pose a threat to Dortmund, but it did at the end. I mean, they scored. I think they scored a go-ahead goal, and then later Dortmund uh, equalized that, if I remember correctly. But it was a it was a tour, you know, at uh, at the end of the first half of the season. 
and there are a lot of whistles, there are a lot of booing um, at the end of the match and effort, man. It's it's probably like just Dortmund is a victim of their own success, um, especially in that regard. It's just, you know, people enjoyed um, the last, I don't know, five, six years, I think since 2009, something like that, where Dortmund, uh, except for one season, were really, really successful. And, and now there's just, you know, there's just this thinking, this, this thinking pattern that Dortmund has to beat, uh, a team like Augsburg or, uh, maybe a team like Darmstadt. So there, there's just no, no, in no, uh, way, uh, Dortmund should lose or maybe to our, with a team like Augsburg. Um, or maybe if it's just nil nil against Wolfsburg, they are only uh, 14th or, or, or 13th or whatever and in the Bundesliga. That's just unacceptable. Dortmund has to beat them and has to beat them decisively. Uh, so maybe some fans, I don't say, I don't say it, all of them, but maybe some fans should, you know, maybe step, uh, step back and look at the bigger picture and say, okay, uh, Dortmund is still probably the se- second biggest club in, in Germany. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, uh, they have to run over every team. Like, it's nothing. I mean, there, there were times when Dortmund did that, but it's not like, not like a natural thing. It's not like that has to be every season that way. Um, and especially now with, with, I mean, we talked a lot about it and a lot of media members talked about that with the top three or these top three players, uh, that, left Dortmund and with the new team that is young with Tuchel with all the little um things and and issues that are going on within club and you know between maybe some people in charge and the coach and who knows who else um it's it's not like they automatically will perform at their best all the time uh, and maybe as a fan you have to for yourself, just analyze the situation a little bit and then accept uh, to a, a situation to some extent, at least. Um, and not just, you know, be like a warbotter and, and, and just boo when, when it's not uh, when it's not uh, going the way you want it to go. Um, well, to be know. fair, you know, those those boos and whistles, I mean, we were both in the stadium mm. for this game. They, they weren't really loud. It, it wasn't like Gelsenkirchen on the first match sure. day. <laughs> sure. Where they where sure. they lose, which the, which is uh, you know in, in comparison and but uh, the, right. The the interesting thing is just um it was against ours was two against Augsburg uh, right before the winter break and I remember I think it was two years ago when Dortmund played against Augsburg right after the winter break when when Kuba um had this AC, suffered his ACL injury I think um and there was also a tour I think it was two two or something. Um, with a late goal by Chi. And there were also a lot of whistles and boo and booing going on after the match. And it just re- reminded me, uh, of that particular, you know, it was uh, the same opponent and it was like uh, almost the same situation, uh, as far as the sketch level went. Um, so just reminded me, um, that it's, it's not, a, it's not a new thing uh, in Dortmund. It is, it's a phenomenon that, uh, has been going on for some time now, for three years, I think, or so, really. And, well, well, I mean, at the end, the players have to deal with it, but it's not like they're not allowed to address 
with their concerns and maybe just address that they would like to have a little bit more uh, support uh, in the early early phases of a, of a match where it's really you know when really going down. Um, you never know what would have happened uh, if if Wolfsburg had scored an early goal. You know, you never know. I mean, it's it's that's football. Even even awful Wolfsburg, maybe they can they can uh, have some luck. You you never know. Um, so yeah, that was maybe the the mindset uh, Schmelzer had when he made that statement. Yeah, I mean he's in so far right that uh, the Westfalenstadion can be a massive weapon. I oh, think yeah. we saw it, we saw it best during the during both penalty shootouts against Union Berlin and Hertha Berlin in the German Cup so far that. The atmosphere is just so intimidating that I don't know how many players missed of of both teams, but I, I think they're Berlin, Hertha, Hertha missed I think three out of four, and Union yeah, Berlin <laughs> missed all three. Yeah. So um, you know, obviously that's also down to to Roman Bürki and Roman Weinfeller, but you know, it's 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 nerves, and you know, if the stadium is on on full voice. Like that, I'm I'm pretty sure it would get to to me too. So um. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's also a practical thing. Uh, let's just say you got an opponent, and the, the, the opposing coach wants to, you know, make some instructions throughout the match, and it's really, really, really loud. That's that that means that the coach can't really communicate with his players. The players can't really communicate with each other because they they don't hear. You know, it's, it's, re it's really, really loud in the, in the Svalenstadion. It's, it's almost impossible to talk to each other, especially down there, uh, on the pitch where you are in between all the voices, in between like this, uh, yeah, just, uh, this, this crazy happening and, and when all the fans <laughs> are screaming, um, the, it's also a practical thing. I mean, you yeah, really... that is very true. I actually asked Marcel Schmelzer. <laughs> I actually asked Marcel Schmelzer that question yeah. uh, in the, in the mix zone whether it, it was easier to hear the the uh, instructions of Tuchel, and he said yes, at least in the first half. So yeah, you have a v really valid point. Uh, you know, but as as you know, this isn't American football where you can basically uh, uh, decide when it's offense and when when it's defense. So uh, you know, as much as it is an advantage if the Opponents coach cannot give instructions. It's the same disadvantage for Tuchel, I presume. <laughs> yeah, but on the other side, you, you might think that, uh, Dortmund's maybe better prepared. So going into I mean, the match with, how, how many home mindset? games in a row did they not lose now in the Bundesliga? Is it 31, 32, or maybe even 33? It's, it's a crazy long unbeaten yeah. streak. So that's definitely a and fortress. It's, and it's also what, what you just said. Um, it's also, um, that uh, the Dortmund players, of course, have experience to deal with the, the atmosphere in the Westfalen Stadion. While, uh, I don't know, the left back of Wolfsburg, Horn, uh, really young guy, that's like his first time in the Westfalen Stadion. Uh, so maybe there's all the screaming going on and it's really loud there. And then he can't understand his, uh, the, his teammate next to him and then he makes maybe a mistake so do you remember the uh, season opener of uh, of the first Tuchel year where they pounced Borussia Mönchengladbach 4-0 yeah. and was uh, Christensen and, and another young center back who uh, debuted for for Gladbach and right now uh, the, the 
center back of Gladbach, they're looking decent, but you know, they're really nervous and obviously their first games, but uh, most of the time, if you have a young debutant of uh, another team of an opponent, they really, really do poorly. And, you know, mm -hmm. you, ha you yeah. have a point because it is intimidating. So that's not the kind of game where I want to have my very first game. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, and by the way, you, you think, uh, I think it was uh, Schulz. Schulz yeah. and Christensen. Yeah. Back then. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Just couldn't remember Schulz. I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, speaking of a, of a young team, obviously it's a transition year, but, um, if you, if you look at how this season develops and, and how the squad develops, we cannot look away from Usman Dembele right now, I think, because uh, he grabbed another goal and another assist in this game. And, um, I am really impressed not only by Dembele but also just by Tuchel how he deployed him in the half spaces more more centrally I mean we've uh, talked about this quite a bit now uh, because this was a thing that started uh, I think end of November early December where Sorry, we saw yeah. Dembele more more in the middle but uh, VfL Wolfsburg didn't really have any answers to that whatsoever when Dembele roams in the half spaces and I mean it's so hard to predict where he will go considering he is uh, two-footed I think I don't know by people. maybe three-footed who knows <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah it's so un unpredictable where he will go next and um, although he's still a little raw and not every pass connects there is a playmaker in him and uh, you could <laughs> almost say he's he's a waste on the wing I don't know about you, Constantine, but I've been very impressed with his development and also the uh, intelligence of his positioning and the awareness for for space and and when to make his runs. I, I think his timing has improved so much since he arrived at Dortmund. Right. Um, we we talked about Dembélé and Emre Moore. It's uh, another interesting talking point. I think we can we can go to that later on. Um, we talked about these two a while ago. Um, some, sometime in the Hinrunde. Um, and I, back then, and I think, uh, that's really what, what happens now is that both are very, very talented. All right. Um, and maybe Dembele's ceiling is a little, little bit lower than Emre Moore's. Maybe. I'm not sure. But on the other hand, I think Dembele is someone who can really reach his ceiling in his career. You know, maybe for, uh, even for, uh, several years throughout his career. That he can perform very close to ceiling at least, really, and and become a tremendous player and uh, someone who is uh, important for a system. He's not someone who maybe creates only magical moments occasionally, but he's someone who can really be part of a of a attacking concept. He can uh, a key player, you know. While Emre Moore who's like in, invisible uh, at the moment, more or less, um, is someone who might be a little bit more talented, especially in, in one-on-one -on -one situations, uh, a little bit more, you know, it's it's really tricky to, de to defend against him. But he is more like, uh, he could turn out to be a player who's, who's uh, only valuable in... in Ah, well, in, in like one-on-one -on -one situations in, in like uh, some magical moments, you know, but not a key player for a system. We don't really know because Emerald is, is, you know, really young. Uh, we will see 
how it all goes down and he has uh, several years before he will reach his peak and of course Dembele is also very young um but I think Dembele and that's also what uh I thought about or what I figured out when I watched his matches uh, before he signed for Dortmund um that he is just an intelligent player he's he looked a little bit raw back then and he's still a little bit raw and he's still a little bit wild but his decision making within a split second is tremendous uh of course like from like as far as technique goes uh, agility speed everything explosivity it's it's explosions i always say explosivity um it's it's <laughs> exclusively <laughs> ex- exclusively uh it's it's uh, it's it's he has all the tools you know um and sure someone like more is maybe better suited outside uh where you can have one-on-one situations by where Dembele um thrives in this central role where where you need like decision quick decision making and just you know you have a lot of uh actions uh a lot of uh short possessions um yeah that's just him that I think that's uh Dembele's role now and all Dortmund fans should hope that he will stay uh, with Dortmund for quite a while because we, we all know. I mean, it could turn out that maybe Dortmund is just a transition club for him, but who knows? <laughs> I mean, he he already said that he dreams of playing for Barcelona and whatnot. So obviously, yeah, I I, in I his just... <laughs> eyes, Dortmund are stepping stones. So you, there there is not much illusion a Dortmund fan should have about that. But you know, but who he knows, signed a contract know? until 2021, and at least until 2020, I think Dortmund can put their foot down and say, no, you stay here because why wouldn't they? Um, you know, even, even if he has just one year left on his contract, if his development goes as it, it seems to go, you know, he will be worth so much money that any club in the world would want him. And at this point, you know, it doesn't really matter how many years are left on a contract. There will be. There will be a bidding war and hence the transfer fee should be enormous. But, um, yeah, that hopefully is uh, still very far away. In the meantime, we can be happy about, uh, what, what he is showing because I think he, he certainly enriches the Bundesliga and it's nice that after Mikitarian and Gunnuan went that, uh, you know, there's still a lot of magic to come out of Dortmund. Um, magic also coming right now of Dortmund <laughs> is, uh, coming out of the Poland camp, which is right now only Lukas Piszczek, or Łukasz Piszczek, how he's actually pronounced, um, scored his fifth goal. And, uh, yeah, another assist, if you want to call it that. Um, Konstantin, I've been very, very critical, um, this season with Piszczek and especially his build-up play, but apparently, uh, I was silenced as uh, Mr. Tuchel and, and Piszczek himself attested the man good form i don't know i still i still feel like i'm not wrong here just because he's scoring goals and then uh important goals that is uh you know that makes this builder play not really better but uh yeah overall his form isn't completely poor by the standards that he is in good health he is fit and his decision making is good unless he has a ball on his feet and is pressured so I will stand by my opinion. Whatever. <laughs> Everyone sure. else can, can right go away. I mean, it's just, it's just a feud. Butchko 
versus Piszczek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going down although, soon. Uh, although I, I really like Piszczek, so he's, he's a really nice guy. So. Yeah, right. Uh, so uh, I don't, I don't have a personal vendetta. Right. I'm always neutral. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Uh, especially when it comes down to, uh, you know, judging Schalke, for instance. You're. Yeah. Really neutral. Um, so I, I mean, I mentioned Emery Moore. Uh, what, what do you think about him? What do you think about his, his, let's say, I short-term future? I think his short-term f- future might be very, uh, might, might end soon in Dortmund. I've heard mm-hmm. a couple of things that the club and the people working there aren't too happy with his, uh, showings, uh, especially his, his work ethic and his antics, if you want to call it that, you know, that he's uh, easily frustrated. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we've seen it all. Everyone who's watched Emery more, more than five minutes knows that he's easily frustrated either by yeah. an opponent player when he's fouled or by the referee or whatever. Um, and apparently his, his, uh, morale or whatever you want to call it, his, uh, yeah, work ethic isn't really in, in, seen in the good light in, in Dortmund right now. And, um, you know, as talented as he is, talent isn't everything in, in football as, it is in life. You always need uh, dedication, and uh, if that is lacking, you know it might as well that he is on the on a on the short list of players to go. So um, to to comment on 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 what you just said on Emre Moore, I think he really needs to step up and uh, show a little bit more. Although I think it is unfair from us to expect. So many things from how you, how many years is he now? 18. He came from where? North Zealand. So, you know, I would just say give him a little bit more time and, uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, things will sort themselves out on the trending ground. But, uh, you know, I could easily think that a mo- uh, loan move would make sense for him. I mean, yeah. there, there's Christian Pulisic. There is, I don't know, Mario Götze, there's Zembele, there are a couple of players, there's Royce, there's Schüller, you know, there are so many midfield players right now that, um, he can, he, he might just not find the playing time he needs, even at this age. So, um, maybe he's, uh, you know, the next Bittencourt, where you just see a lot of talent, but in the end, it just isn't enough to play for Dortmund. You know, we mustn't forget there are a lot of, talented young players who arrived in Dortmund over the last couple of years. There was Januszaj, there was Leitner, and so on and so forth. I, I just mentioned Bittenkurs, so he just might be one of the players who in the end just don't cut it. And um, yeah, it would be of course sad because we all seen the massive potential that's in, in that player. But yeah, right now I'm not too convinced and the club doesn't seem to be either. So um, yeah, as you said, mm. we'll see, but... You know, there's a question mark behind Emre Moore right now, and uh, he's not getting the playing time or attention by Tuchel either. Yeah, I, I would like to see him um, at another team for uh, uh, in you know in a loan deal, um, and especially a team that is not like identical with Dortmund. It's, not, it's of course not possible, but a team that has like a similar. You know, see my similar, um, philosophy, something like, like Hoffenheim, also with a, you know, tremendous coach. Um, I would like to see that, like more one year playing for Hoffenheim, for instance. Um, that would be something I think because he 
there he would get more uh, playing time. Um, also, he would he could develop in, in a system that's not too far away from Dortmund's system, and also under a coach who, who can develop young players um, because he's you know he's coming up from the from the youth ranks. Um, so that would I think that would be a great move for Dortmund and more for both. Uh, so who knows? Maybe we will see him in a not in a black and yellow jersey uh, next year, but still under contract. Yeah, but maybe. I, I think giving up now it's it's too soon to do that. Yeah, like I mean, they loaned out Bittencourt at first. <laughs> sure, you have to at least. To try something else, especially when a player is as talented as, as yeah. more. And they did that uh, also just with look... Jonas Hofmann, if you remember correctly. So it could be yeah, very Yeah, sure. Uh, but we are talking about, uh, as talented as, as more now. Um, <laughs> no, uh, kidding aside, it's, I think not the same, but it's a comparable situation in, uh, as far as Real Madrid and, uh, Martin Oedegaard go. Um, because, Odegaard came to Madrid uh, when he was 16. So um, I still think he's the most talented attacking player uh, under, you know, 20 or so in the world. Um, but the problem is he, he was too young to play for the first team, um, but he was not too good. But he was just was just not the right place to play for the for the second team in the third division in Spain. You know, so so now he's he's out there uh, with a loan deal. But he's still on the contract because in Ramatoid knows what he could be capable of in the, you know, foreseeable future. Um, and I think with Moore, it's not the same because Moore is not as talented as, as Odegaard, but he's still one of the most talented attacking players in Europe, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but he's so raw that he needs, he needs playing time. He needs a team where he, on the one hand, is like, he, there's the requirement that he has to perform. Uh, well, but if he makes a few mistakes, nobody will like, you know, <laughs> just kill him for, for making mistakes. And I think a club like Hoffenheim, for instance, uh, would be, yeah, would be a great fit at least for a year or maybe, you know, 18 months yeah. or so. Let, let's call his agent and, uh, set this into, into stone. I, I think, I think his agent listens to the yellow wall put regularly. Of course, I mean, who doesn't really, right? Oh, of course, yeah, sure. The, yeah. All, <laughs> I hope all, all, also all the big boys in the business. Yeah, <laughs> I also hope uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang listens to the Yellow Wall Pod, so that you can now maybe give him some uh, solace or some tips on how to beat his his dry patch, his uh, his slump. I don't, I don't really know what what's going on with Aubameyang. He's in a terrible dry spell. I mean. On on the one hand, we all do know what's going on with Aubameyang because uh, he said it himself after the Africa Cup of Nations. He uh, wasn't really in the best form, and right now he's not fully fit. But Dortmund and Tuchel especially said times and times again that uh, Borussia Dortmund can only achieve their goals with Aubameyang, and uh, that's a bit of a problem right now because Aubameyang right now cannot achieve his own goals by scoring them. So, um, yeah, that, I don't know if it will cost Dortmund the Champions League after a lot of misses, but, uh, you know, it's definitely worrying. 
And it's per- not the perfect situation to go on a game having uh, lost 1-0 against Benfica. And uh, again, against Wolfsburg, he missed a couple of promising opportunities and had a couple of weird decisions, like that backheel flick to Schürrle, where he was offside and maybe just should have stayed away and read the situation better. So, Konstantin, um, any advice for Mr. Aubameyang on how to score again, or is it just keep trying and it eventually will sort itself out? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Uh, he's in the, I think it, in, in the crate. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is a good position, but uh, at least he's, you know, your undisputed center forward as not one player in the team <laughs> who could, you know, um, be like contender for his position. It's, it's not, it's not. I think area. that is very important for a striker to have, to have that feeling and the trust of a, of a that, coach. That, that's why I, that's why I said, uh, I don't know if it's a, a good position, you know, because, um, and it's also like for Dortmund, if you look at, uh, Leipzig, for instance, um, they, they, they don't have really a, they don't have a big squad. It's, you know, 18 players, I think, or, or more or less there, uh, who can play, uh, in the Bundesliga and, and perform at a decent level, at least. Um, so, um, Paulsen is out, uh, injured and that there's still someone like Werner, still some, someone like, uh, Selke and Burke there who can play, uh, in the center forward world, uh, while at Dortmund, there's Ubami Young, and then there's nothing. And then <laughs> s- s- somewhere is, uh, uh, Isak, but he's, you know, young war and not like someone you should, uh, just, you know, throw out there and just say, yeah, oh, Isak, no, you're, you're the number one <laughs> center forward here. Uh, because like that won't work out, I guess. Uh, at least not in the long term. Um, so it's, it's just Ubami Young and he, he basically knows that he will play. Um, and, and, on the one hand, he knows that, okay, that's a comfortable situation for him because you don't have as to fear that he will lose his place. While on the other hand, it's also like he will put pressure on himself because he knows, okay, if I don't score, we will probably lose some matches or drop some points. So I have to score. And then he, he, you know, misses a few chances. Then he gets maybe a penalty. Uh, and then, of course, he misses the penalty as well. It's just, it's just a circle. Um, to get out of it, uh, I don't really know. Maybe he, he needs a break, a one week break, maybe, um, where he isn't even in the squad, where he is at home, maybe. Um, just, you know, doing some stuff, some professional footballer stuff. Yeah, maybe he pl- should fly out to Paris again and get a, get a suspension because that really had in the next game against Hamburg. Right. There's a, there's a solution, <laughs> something like that. I I I don't know. It's just um, there's no there's no really a solution. And of course, he's not this, the first, and he will, will certainly be the last uh, striker who has like this a period of missing chances over and over again. That's quite common. Well, I've, I've said on this podcast that he's only scoring tap ins anyway, and right now there aren't too many tap ins to be scored. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, tough luck for Aubameyang, but, uh, you know, a 3 0 scoreline suggests that there are other players on the team that can score. And, uh, you know, maybe Aubameyang will, um, grab himself and <laughs> get himself out of the situation. 
by uh, putting three past Freiburg on next Saturday. We don't know. Um, before we actually talk about Freiburg, um, I was urged to highlight Mark Batra and give him a shout out for really playing well. So, okay, he does. Sure. Moving on. <laughs> shout out to Mark Batra. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but actually we, we should really do talk about Mark Batra and, uh, for this instant, I think this was the very first time a Mark Batra and Matthias Ginter center back partnership remained or kept a clean sheet. I don't know. This, this, this center back pairing was terrible every time it was applied in the past. And, uh, yeah, I don't well. know if it says more about Batra and Ginter's form or about Wolfsburg because, you know, everything is relative. But uh, overall, Bartra uh, has shown good form. He was promising uh, against Leipzig, also against uh, Benfica, and now against Wolfsburg. So three good games, and it looks like he is shaking his um, yeah really long and, and bad patch of, of, of rotten form. So, um, Constantine, uh, do you and, think... And also, uh, Ginter, uh, with every like clean sheet, Ginter's market value will, will increase uh, before Dortmund can collect that uh, Leipzig money. Yeah, 15 million right now. Yeah, right. All right. <laughs> Football I don't, I don't in, know, in 2017, you pay 15 million for 15. Yeah, 15, yeah. Yeah. Not not, not 50. If if someone would pay 50 million for <laughs> Ginter, I think there should be commission to just check check on the club. <laughs> You know, on, on the mental health of the <laughs> officials. <laughs> All right. But, uh, yeah. If, if you want, uh, to talk a little bit about Batra and, and his, uh, can you, can we say resurgence? Yeah, sure. I, as I said, and as some people even called me out, I think on Twitter, uh, that I maybe overestimated, uh, Bartra's talent, but I don't think so. I think, uh, as I said before, great builder player, um, great passer, um, can advance with the ball, um, a few yards. He really picks his spots there. So as far as the build up, uh, goes with him, it's, it's just, he's really, he's really a player of value. And, and yeah, as for his defending skills, well, I mean, in, in, against Wolfsburg, he wasn't really put in, in dangerous situations that often. Yeah, but um, he was against Benfica and against uh, Leipzig, although not, no, not, not really. really. I mean, against Leipzig, a few situations, but it wasn't like, and, and even, uh, let's be honest, uh, I mean, after the Leipzig match, I thought that, uh, against, uh, like, against, uh, better players like, like Forsberg and, and, and Sabitzer, who knows, who knows how, how that match, uh, goes because um there were a few situations where Dortmund didn't really defend well but it was just you know Kaiser and uh, Selke there and uh yeah <laughs> they yeah, they couldn't I mean, they couldn't I mean, counter to uh, counter attack to save their lives so um <laughs> that was really a problem but still uh, and, and it's also um maybe Bartra is like the Ubamiyamba in a defense so he just gains confidence with uh, a match like that against Wolfsburg. So even if he is, if he isn't put in, in a situation where he has to defend and make, uh, life saving tackles, um, which is not his strong suit, um, he, you know, he gains a little bit of confidence and, 
that he has like the ba- at least the basic skills uh, in all uh, departments for a center back. Uh, I think we can agree on. Uh, it's not like he is not capable of defending, and he's just a build-up player. That's not that's not really the case. But of course, uh, throughout his career, he was um, especially at Barca. Sure. It's just, a, uh, it comes with the, with the boss up, uh, style that he, uh, was mostly a build up player and, and only occasionally a defender. Uh, but now at Dortmund, it's more like a 70 30 thing, uh, where at least 30% of the job is, uh, to defend, um, to, to, you know, coordinate pressing, um, to know, uh, how to position themselves, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, just he has to learn a few things, but I think the the, the talent is there, um, and he's not too old to peak when he is twenty eight or so and be a valuable player for Dortmund. Uh, yeah, well, I think I think that uh, he now is the set center back next to Socrates. I think he is ahead of Ginter. I wonder how how the dynamic will change once. Bender returns from injury, but we actually don't know when that will be, whether it be in March or at the end of February. I don't know. So we'll just have to wait and, and see how, how that will develop. And Ömer Toprak at some point will also come in. So, uh, yeah, the center back position will be a very contested one, but for now, I think he will have that spot. Um, Konstantin, how much do you think, uh, Dortmund's defense will hold up against Freiburg on, on Saturday because obviously that's an away game and Dortmund haven't looked too good in away games. So do you think Dortmund A can, can, uh, churn out a performance in, in which they are actually capable of winning on the road? And, and B, um, when we look back to the reverse fixture, it was actually Freiburg who put Dortmund under a lot of pressure in the first 15 minutes or so, and Dortmund mm-hmm. were in all sorts of trouble. So do you think uh, history will repeat itself and maybe Freiburg will this time do it better? I, I just think that um, Freiburg is, is the one team in the Bundesliga, the, the, the Freiburg under uh, coach Streich, uh, that just always finds a way to lose against Dortmund. Um, but now, quite frankly, uh, watching the f- recent Freiburg matches, it's that, uh, similar to, to, uh, Hamburg, actually. Um, it's really, they, they play in a chaotic style, but um, more or less on purpose. Um, because that's, that's what Streich's system is all about. It's about intensity. He's like the German Bielsa. If, uh, yeah, he, he would have, um, 11, if, if he had, uh, 11, like, machines out there instead of like humans uh he would probably uh, succeed um 11 eric Durms, you mean yeah going by the the level of stamina Durm has sure why not why not um so th- that's like strikes he's he, he he loves uh intensity he loves uh transition attacks also he you know puts puts a focus on on uh defensive transitions and yeah, and when when you uh, watch the Freiburg matches, um, the tour against um, Hamburg, for instance, uh, last weekend, and you, you saw that that uh, when they when they have to create uh, chances, uh, 
coming like from from a slower build up play um they can find ways especially with uh, aprashi in, in the middle who can dribble a little bit uh, through the zones uh, which was also quite successful against byron i think uh, at the beginning of the workrunda or the first match after the winter break um so but overall they are they are dangerous uh, when they are able to create transition attacks that's what they can do Crefo and max philip that the two wingers are fast like really fast um harbor is i think suspended for that match um so um harbor is like the, the guy who roams between the lines who's, who's quite important because like that's what freiburg also does like when, when they tr uh, try to you know counterattack, they play rather long balls like right in front of the opposing um back line and try to get harbor involved who it's really great this season. It's, it's, it's tremendous that because like, uh, when he played for Borum, uh, Borum, he was like a good sec division player, but it was not like, yeah, he will succeed in the, in the Bundesliga and will be like this, this tremendous player there. Um, but he's actually really important for, for Freiburg system. Um, so yeah, that's, I'm really interested in what, uh, Streich will do, uh, to replace him. He could, of course, uh, Field Niederleschner next to Peterson, so you got two center forwards. But I think against Dortmund, he will probably uh, choose to, you know, employ uh, France, for instance, like an uh, additional center midfielder, so more four-three-three instead of a four-four-two, um, which could, at the end, uh, hurt uh, Freiburg's, um, especially transition attacking power. Um, so we will see what, ha what happens. Um, I just think that, uh, overall Dortmund is too good. Um, and that they will find some openings. Uh, interestingly, Freiburg. Yeah, that's what I said before Darmstadt though. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Uh, but, but yeah, right. And it, and it was Darmstadt, you know, um, it, interestingly, Freiburg tends to, um, Mark the, the opposing, like the opposing center forward with uh, three or four players sometimes. Uh, it happened against Hamburg where they, they covered the, uh, the, 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 you know, the penalty box where was, there was one Hamburg striker while, a, a f I don't know, who was the second one? I, I don't really remember the names, but it was just interesting that Aaron they, Hunt, really, I think, was the striker for Hamburg in that game. Otherwise, then maybe there Krigoric was, was the second Holby one. And, and I, don't, I, don't I think know, then Krigoric was, was like the second striker, but, but there was like a lot of space, a, a, a exposed half space and a lot of space next to the center backs because they were just standing around, uh, Freiburg's, uh, Hamburg's striker. Um, and they didn't really care to, you know, cover the rest of the field there. Um, so maybe Aubameyang could a little bit move to the left or the right and then open space for Royce, for instance. Like when Aubameyang moves a little bit to the right, uh, then he uh, could draw the attention of the center backs and open up some space for Royce, who then comes uh, through the left half space. Maybe something like that. It's, it's just, that's a little bit basic stuff, but um, could work out against Freiburg. No, 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 you're right. I mean, I think... Think if I remember correctly, in the end, Gladbach Freiburg lost against uh, Dortmund in the reverse fixture because it was both Dembele in the right half space and Götz in the left half space who were granted too much space, 
as you yeah. just said, and uh, hence created the goals, but also a lot of opportunities that way. So yeah, maybe maybe that can work. And I think uh, Marcel Schmelzer also is always a player against Freiburg who who plays good because Freiburg always allows players to overload the flanks. Like if there's a, if there's one uh, fullback or wingback who who makes the overlapping run. Uh, Freiburg are usually always in trouble because that's an easy way to get in behind their defense. And if you have fast players like Schmelzer, for example, or Pitschek on the other side, um, that's a tactic that can uh, easily easily work against Freiburg. Something that really stuck out for me is that um, looking at the stats of, of Freiburg, they're more or less average in the, in almost every aspect of the game. I mean, they are very average in, in the league where they are ninth right now. So, you know, midfield just above Schalke. I mean, not but just... But doing just well for, for, for a team for, that... For, for points. No, no, we, we cannot highlight enough how, how well they are doing. I think we will yeah. uh, praise them later on. But w what I was getting at is that, um, you know, if you look at their long ball percentage, um, it's, it's somewhere, you know, they're in six, it's 19.4%, you know, very, very average in the Bundesliga. But what's, what's interesting, even though the lo long ball percentage is, you know, rather average, their pass distance on average is 21.5 meters. And that is only topped by Darmstadt in the league, meaning, even though they don't play too many long balls, they have very, very uh, long passes on average, uh, which more or less tells us that uh, the players are very far apart from each other and that they obviously need a very high pass completion rate to achieve that, which is 73%, uh, you know, and all the other teams around them, you know, which have a similar passing distance on average, you know, it's Darmstadt, it's Hamburg, it's Ingolstadt, you know, they're pass completion rate is somewhere between 63% and 65%. So it tells you that, that Freiburg are a team that is very capable of, of, of playing with the ball on, on the ground and uh, having, you know, good, a good passing scheme. And I think like Tuchel Streich really does prefer the diagonal pass. You know, Tuchel, I, I think always hates it when there is a completely horizontal pass. And I, I think, Vertical passes, uh, especially because like that, that's what, um, Hamburg did. Um, normally they build up, um, ball goes to one of the fullbacks to the, let's say to the right back and then the ball should go, you know, to Quifo. But Quifo shouldn't be near the touchline. He should be in the, in the half space, the right half space. What, uh, Hamburg did was, really strongly covering the um half space so Krifu was basically pushed towards touchline so then the vertical ball happened and then he was isolated uh like a few yards away from the touchline or maybe even you know standing right next to the touchline so um that's what Hamburg did i think Dortmund is of course capable of doing something similar it's just you know they have to keep up the intensity. It's, it's, that's the one Dortmund thing, the one Dortmund issue that uh, always we should always keep in mind. Uh, but or, yeah, you're right. Um, Schreich loves to stretch the field a little bit, but he also loves that, that uh, he also you know tells his players that um, they should come up with diagonal um, passing patterns. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. Which, which to me at least makes uh, Freiburg very easy on the eyes. I, for one, do like watching their style of play. Uh, that's just a personal preference, of course. And uh, yeah, while we're at it, it's it's just amazing. You know, they are the other promoted team this this year, and uh, you know, given their budget, which isn't really high at all, I think it's the second lowest in in the Bundesliga. Um, you know, they're doing an amazing job and it was almost an accident that they got relegated two years ago because they weren't really bad. They just uh, were unlucky to concede a lot of goals very late and hence dropped too many points they shouldn't have dropped. And uh, yeah, they are back where they, they've been. And I mean, they're losing players almost every year. And that's a, that's, I think that will be the problem. That's just, yeah, you know, Ingolstadt, uh, did well last season. Even Darmstadt did well last season, uh, especially when you look at their budget. Um, but what will happen, uh, when the big clubs go after, uh, Philip and Crefo in the summer? That's really a problem for Freiburg. I don't know, so. but they have a really good youth system and maybe they sure, will but come up with, with is, it, is it enough for, is it enough for the Bundesliga? But on the other hand, in Freiburg, there's the thinking that, um, they want to be uh, among the best, I think, like 25 or 30 best teams in Germany. They they think like, okay, when we are in the second division, but we are among the best teams, we are still like within a group of the elite or within the elite. Um, so that's why when, when they got relegated or I mean, had a few times um, in the last... Yeah, it wasn't so. the end of the world for them. No, it wasn't. Right. It was not. It was not like a big crisis. It was, uh, Streich kept his job. Um, you know, a few players, of course, left the club, but they found new players who fit the system. And it wasn't like this big identity crisis, which happens a lot at the uh, these big clubs. Uh, yeah, they just get, like Wolfsburg. <laughs> yeah, but Wolfsburg uh, isn't a big club. Yeah, you're right. No, hasn't been relegated thus far. Um, but you know, it's, it, yeah, have, yes. it happens a lot. It's, it's like Kaiserslautern, for instance. You know, they they get relegated and then they are like they are dropping down and dropping down, and they are losing players and they are losing money big time. Um, it's just you know that that doesn't happen really in Freiburg because they they stay calm and they know that they. They try to belong to the best, like, 30 teams in Germany, not to the best 18 teams in Germany, which would mean they have to be in the Bundesliga. Uh, um, yeah, but I think I, that's, I, that's a great mindset, in my opinion, for a club like Freiburg, which is, yeah. yeah. And I think identity is a keyword here because not always for, for the club, but actually they do have a footballing philosophy that oh, yeah. they produce and, and they, they try to stay true to, you know, just look at their youth system. And, and all these players who come out of that system, they fit into the first team. And I think that is very important. If, if you're a team that cannot afford a lot of uh, players from the outside where you just have a small budget, you need to rely on, on the youth system. And now then it's very important that these players are intelligent enough and very versatile. You know, most of them at least are. Uh, and, and, you know, just, just make that transition from, from the, Let's say A level bonus, uh, you know, A youth level to, to the Bundesliga, you know, 19 year olds or 20 year olds who come into that Freiburg senior squad and, and they immediately fit. And I think that's, that's a really 
impressive that they can hold that up for I don't know how many years. I mean, just look at Matthias Ginter. I think he had his debut under Streich when he was 18 years old. So Sorry, yeah, five so, years yeah. ago. And, uh, you know, within those five years, looking back there, you know, looking at Freiburg's identity and, and their way to play hasn't really changed. Although it has changed a little bit in, in their, uh, you know, regard for possession because usually Streich once famously said, the ball habe, meaning we want to have the ball. Um, but, uh, you know, he, I think he has adjusted that a little bit to be a little bit more reactive and a bit more on a transition. But, uh, you know, overall it's, it's still same old Freiburg who, you know, have, have their own kind of swagger and um, I'm really excited to go there on, on the weekend. Uh, just one, one last thing, uh, in that regard, because, uh, the history is, is just interesting, uh, Freiburg's history. Uh, I guess you get, uh, you have Streich who was responsible for the, uh, youth section. Um, he basically formed the, the, you know, the youth department and he worked on the, on the concept and everything. And then he was promoted to the job of the head coach of the first team. He, he wasn't really, I think a few years ago, he wasn't really interested in, uh, becoming a Bundesliga coach because he, he don't really likes the media attention and everything. Uh, which is of course understandable. I mean, it's not like it's another job for everyone. Um, so, so what he did was, okay, he, he had this youth system in his mind. He was responsible for it or he had, he had been responsible for it. And then he started applying, um, the, the same system, uh, when he was in charge of the first team. So I, I think, I mean, at the end, it was a smart move by Freiburg to just ask him to, to, uh, be promoted. And as we are speaking, uh, mentioned Gladbach is now uh, leading four to, uh, four to two. Uh, at Fiorentina. So the yeah, we're missing quite a cracker here while we're uh, talking. Stindl has, Stindl has scored three goals. So uh, they they have scored uh, scored uh, three goals after set pieces uh, and one uh, by a penalty. That's pretty much it. <laughs> set pieces also a penalty. Uh, sure, but I wanted to I wanted but, to yeah. emphasize that three like. Ordinary set pieces, I think two corners and a free kick and one penalty. Yeah. To be precise. Okay. <laughs> I think there was also some set floating around with Freiburg being very, very sustainable against set pieces. <laughs> but I'm not sure if, if that is actually true or I'm just uh, mixing things up. So uh, bef before we uh, move on to predictions, um, Konstantin... Do you expect any changes in the lineup? Any uh, sort of tactic Tuchel might de deploy? Any sort of utility player you might want to see? Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe a few here and there. Uh, who knows? Uh, I don't really know. I mean, I I, I, could, I could imagine that he uh, might replace a few players if he thinks uh, that's like. I mean, they uh, had an entire move, week of, of training now, right? Yeah, and on sure. On Tuesday, there's a DFB Pokal match against Lotus, so there. I don't think there's too much need to make really changes against Freiburg. I think this is the this is the sort of game where you just play your best eleven, and and really do hope for the best because you know, <laughs> uh, the bit of rotation they actually did against Darmstadt didn't e exactly help, and I, I think it's it's time to field the best players you have 
at your disposal. The only question is, who are those 11 players? Tell me. I don't know. I, I think it uh, should be a similar lineup that played against uh, Leipzig and, and Benfica. Because I, I think uh, this right now is the best lineup. Um, but we will, we will see. But yeah, I do like the back three and I, you know, I think especially against Freiburg, it will be vital to see Mark Batra in there because you said he's a great builder player and Dortmund need that pressing resistance at the back. Uh, you know, if Freiburg come out all guns blazing as they did in the, in the uh, last game, then it's really important that Dortmund, uh, have some calm at the back. I actually do not know how good or bad the pitch is in, in Freiburg. So, um, that, that obviously will also be a factor. But, uh, yeah, overall, I, I think it, it should be Guerrero, Weigel and, and Dembele creating another triangle. And then, uh, yeah, Reus and Aubameyang up top and, uh, Pischek and, and Schmelzer playing the, the wing backs and, or at least a, a back three. That's, that's more or less what I want to see with, with Socrates at the heart of defense and Batra and Pischek. But, uh, yeah, the only, the only thing I'm never really too sure of is Christian Pulisic as a, as a right wing back. Hmm. I don't think that's, that's too good of, good a move, but, uh, I think the, the weekend against Wolfsburg has shown it doesn't really matter if you play Durm, Piszczek, uh, or, uh, Schürrle or Pulisic there. They are all kind of always lost in that sort of position. I don't think Dortmund have the perfect player right now to play the, the right wing back if they have a back three. So, um, yeah. Either one should be fine. I think Schüller against Wolfsburg wasn't really too bad, but he, I think, was the most underwhelming player of them all just because he wasn't really involved at all. But surprise, yeah. surprise. Yeah. Anyway, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to talk too long because in the end, it doesn't really matter in what kind of lineup or shape or system they will play. As you said, as long as they don't show the intensity that is necessary and the, uh, the dedication and, and whatnot, uh, you know, we can talk all we want. It's yeah. going to be a draw or a loss. So, um, yeah, it will be all about whether Dortmund actually do want to win for once on the road or not <laughs> as harsh as it may sound but I think a lot of that also came down to character and just uh, you know getting complacent between big games in the Champions League and whatnot so uh, my prediction will be a really scrappy 2-1 away win Konstantin um, the same I think 2-1 yeah. we can agree right. on that Alright, and, and with that, I heard about an hour and 15 minutes ago from you that you were really prepared and done your homework on Sportfreunde Lotte. What a name, is, right? Yeah, yeah. Sportfriends Lotte. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not too far away from Dortmund, which is actually good because it's not too far off a trip. They are a third division side. And, uh, yeah, those, they, they've made it to the, to the quarterfinals. They've beaten, who did they beat? They've beaten Leverkusen, Leverkusen, uh, Bremen, and uh, Munich. Uh, yeah. No, Munich. Munich. Yeah, Munich. Uh. Not Bielefeld. Sorry. Anyway, yeah, eighteen sixteen. It's not possible. Bielefeld doesn't exist, you know. Exactly. Eighteen sixteen Munich. Obviously, not really the best side in the world. Although they seem to have uh, turned their form around ever since oh, yeah. going out of the c cup. 
But nevertheless, I think this should be a very uh, straightforward win for Dortmund and a very easy uh, way to the semifinal of the German Cup, considering it is Lotte and, uh, you know, it, it could be a game where you have to be a bit patient until the first goal comes. But overall, I don't think we've seen these kinds of games oftentimes enough. I don't think it will be really much of a test for Dortmund because they just have too much quality for Lotte who came away victorious against against teams that really are complacent. I think they beat Leverkusen on the very first cup round, which is always... No, it was different. the second cup round. Oh, really? Was the second cup no, round? It's not, Man, it's... Leverkusen really shit the bed then. That was uh, like back in December or when was the... Um... When was the cup around? Uh, um, in uh, late October, right? Yeah. S the second round uh, of the German cup. Um, yeah. So interestingly, um, when they played against Leverkusen, uh, which is like from their standpoint, uh, standpoint, uh, a top team, just like Dortmund, um, they played with a 4 3 3. So no, like, you know, back five. Uh, with like fear in their eyes, uh, was uh their standard system, and so I think that their coach uh, Ismail Atalan will employ the same system against Dortmund. Um, Lotte is a club that uh, over the years um tried several times to get into the the third division. So they bought a few players. There is a little bit of money there, not, not not like much, but a little bit of money. Um, they have a few like really. I mean, relatively talented players, you know, for, for a team, uh, in the third division. Um, they are also like six right now. So not too bad. Uh, only a few points behind, um, the promotion zone. Um, so one of, one of the talented players is, uh, Philipp Steinhardt, uh, a former Bayern Munich, um, uh, like a Bayern Munich youth product. Uh, so, but he has been injured, uh, for a few matches. So I don't know if he's ready to play against Dortmund, but he would be, uh, a really important part, uh, of team as a left back, probably, uh, behind Jaroslav Lindner, who's their left winger. Um, um, you know, explosive, typical winger can, uh, one down the wing, but also get, uh, into the box. Um, so he's he's also an important part, especially when he can interact with uh, Steinhardt. But uh, maybe Neidhardt, who's the other left back, is also you know he's capable of of doing some damage. I think, but he's not as good as Steinhardt, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, and and uh, like the most important part of uh, Lotus system and Lotus team is, is the is the triangle in the middle. Um, Gorschluter is like a like your more or less typical holding midfielder who can. Uh, destroy um, opposing attacks. Uh, who's one who can pick up balls, win, you know, one-on-one -on -one situations. Um, uh, a veteran uh, at 33 years old, I think. Um, yeah, and then Pierce Rodriguez, and they, they they are more more the connecting players, you know, who, who are who are trying to connect defense and offense. Um, so with great stamina. Um, yeah, so I think, uh, that's Lotte, uh, of course, in a match against Dortmund, they will mostly be in, uh, defending mode, uh, 
But as I mentioned, Lindner, uh, maybe Steinhardt on the left side, uh, these two can cause some damage in counterattacks. Um, also, Sané and uh, Freiberger probably, so the, the our uh, attackers. Um, they are also like they they aren't uh, none of them is tall. They are more like uh, smaller attacking players, so who are quicker maybe than your you know your uh, La Saga type of of center forward. Um, so yeah, in, in some counter attacks you never know. I mean, I'm always a little bit hesitant uh, prior to these uh, cup matches against uh, lower tier uh, teams because. It wouldn't Thing be the some... first time. It wouldn't be the first time that a, that a big favorite, uh, you know, concedes some some counterattacking goals uh, in a match where where they are clearly dominating, but then, yeah, maybe losing the ball here and there, some turnovers, and then uh, the, the the underdog will score, and you never know what happens after that. So, um, of course, Dortmund is the big favorite, and normally they should win the match, but Lotte. As a shot, it's of course, uh, it's a shot of a big underdog. And, uh, normally they are going out, but you never know. It's just a, a little bit hesitation should be there. It's not like, oh, we are going to Lotta and it will be a nice trip of the family. And that's it. <laughs> no, not really. They, they should I mean, not, not, not a trip of too many families anyway, since they're only around 10,000 people who actually fit in the stadium. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So but, it's, it's, it's going to be what we call in Germany Hexenkessel. It's uh, just the uh, really, really uh, you know, melting pot atmosphere, if you want to call it that, when when it's just really, you know, close to the close to the pitch and, and really, really loud. And, of, of course, you know, it's the, the game of the year. And oh, yeah. uh, I don't know, and I'm pretty sure you don't really know either who will actually play for Dortmund. It could be uh, the big rotation, of Maybe. course. Uh, it could also not be, but um, Tuchel might field the likes of Mikel Merino and, and maybe Durm and, and Brunic and I don't know. Probably not, but, you know, there's always a tendency that there is a back line on, on, the, on the pitch or, you know, a midfield that isn't as cohesive as the, as the, you know, let's say a team. And, uh, you know, they tend to do a couple of more mistakes, uh, because of a lack of automatism and, and routine and, and whatnot. And maybe there are a couple of misunderstandings and sometimes it's just one counterattack and, you know, the cup has its own magic and, you know, things can, can go south really quickly. I mean, Absolutely. we've seen as, it as against Darmstadt, which essentially was a was a cup match, if you want to call it that. You know, it wasn't <laughs> right. in the league, but it has a similar character. So, right. uh, as the favorite, you should you sh- should you're more or less forced to score an early goal, um, because then you can really uh, go from there and and um, dominate the match. Otherwise, you're always one you know opposing counter take away from a disaster, and that's. It's always like the fear. And, yeah, I mean, and, all it takes sometimes is a corner kick or two. Right? Oh, yeah, or a corner kick. Or, you know, one foul, one stupid foul somewhere uh, in your own half and then just a free kick and you never know what happens then. And and even a third division or fourth division team, of course, can't score f- uh, following a free kick or a corner. It's, of course, they can. And they... They were, uh, train a lot of corners, I, I think, a lot of set pieces. And, uh, of course, and they were also train how to 
maybe create or how to create some some counterattacks um so maybe train uh, exercise some patterns in training so uh, yeah it's just if, if Dortmund scores an early goal the it's the match is more or less over um so but if not if Aubameyang again misses a few chances we will see maybe get a thriller or maybe not I don't know. We 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 will see. I will uh, predict a three 0 win. No, because that that will always jinx things. Although I, I don't think Dortmund will actually score that many. It's probably going to be more for two 0 game. Remember uh, a few years ago, or what means a few years ago? Remember the the, the period, the long period when Dortmund always went out against you know some third division team in the first or second round of the German Cup. There yeah, was, there was like a running joke back in the '90s or even the early 2000s. It was like, uh, yeah, they will play against who knows some team somewhere, and then they will just you know get beaten by them. That was so funny. Yeah, I predict a Shinji Kikawa goal because he already scored against Eintracht Trier this season, and I think he will score again. He is usually always a player who gets on the, on the score sheet against uh, lower tier opponents in the cup. So if he plays, I'm. Yeah, if he plays. So if he if he does, I'm having my virtual money on Mr. Kagawa. Oh, put some real money on it. Just you know. how about how about no? <laughs> no. Yeah. Kagawa you know, is still in, a Dortmund player. It's like yeah. In, in, in the end, he eats some pie or or something, and then he's out. So we 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 don't want to advocate on you, you, gambling. You you mean he will trip over a cable? You know, in in the in the little uh, Lotte Stadium. Just cable from from the from the production team, something, and then he will get hurt and can't make the squad and whatever. No. Yeah, I, I don't know what the odds are for that. So, um. no, who knows? It's it's Kagawa. Yeah, <laughs> he's maybe prone to <laughs> shit like that. Um, yeah, it's all right. Uh, Science uh, show. Spe speaking speaking of Kagawa, by the way, um, not not speaking of Kagawa, but uh, because like s some people are might wondering if he's still a Dortmund player, even like he he hasn't played that much. Uh, is Choho Park still uh, a Dortmund player, or has someone yes. seen him as a player? Yes, oh. yes. Uh, I I I don't know if he if he's still around. Uh, Lars in a recent article called him the good old. Kaderleiche, which is exactly what he is, basically a squad corpse. It's a, describes a player perfectly who doesn't really get to play anymore or help the team in any sort of way. He's just there and he's just a name uh, on transfer grabs his, grabs his paycheck and and right. that's that. But he isn't really influential whatsoever. Hence <laughs> the the really <laughs> macabre German term. But yeah. yeah, that that's how it is. <laughs> but I, I'm I I like how how you uh, <laughs> thought Shinji Kagawa was a opportunity to talk about uh, Park. Yeah, they are. I mean, of course, Kagawa is still uh, is still a player who can be of value uh, for Dortmund and who who got some playing time. Uh, but like Joho Park is is uh, sometimes you really forget that he's still like in the squad or at least you know on the roster so it's like what <laughs> joe park yeah well that happens anyway um before people forget that we are actually still talking 
I think it's time to end <laughs> the show. So, Constantine, sure. it was a pleasure as always to have you here on once again. And I, uh, I'm a bit sad that it was just us two since there was no one else to join us. But nevertheless, uh, I think we, we had an interesting podcast. At, at least to me, it was sometimes a bit nerdy, maybe, but, uh, nevertheless, Constantine, where can people find you on the internet? Just uh, cc underscore eckner on Twitter. Um, yeah, same on Instagram, I think. Uh, and spielverlagerung.com, spielverlagerung.de oh, for the German Instagram listeners. Account? I have an Instagram account. It's not really active, but I have one. Huh. You know, just for the chickles. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and also, yeah, you know, checking check out. that out right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, check out spielverlagerung.com and German listeners or people who are able to read the German language or are able to comprehend the German language, I can also check out uh, spiefelang.de. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's about it. I mean, also, of course, check out the Yellow Wall pa uh, page. That's that's important. Yeah, that's also very important. Yeah, I'm just seeing you have shoes and stuff like that on your Instagram, but no food. <laughs> but yeah, really, really nice, interesting pictures there. You're very... Artsy, Mr. Agner. Absolutely. Uh, writer, photographer, coffee shop goer. So, there it is. Don't even have to visit his Instagram page now anymore. I did it for you, dear listeners. You can find me at Stefan Bosco. You can find the show at Yellow Wallpot. If you want to get in touch, which a lot of you people have done in the past, and it was really, really cool. More of that. We always do love feedback or I don't know, just general comments. So do you, that. You mean they can I, reach out to you? Uh, yeah, via like via the sh contact sh form. Stefan underscore Butchko at AOL.com. <laughs> yeah, no, that email address doesn't exist, I'm afraid. Anymore. <laughs> I did have an AOL email address at some point in my life, which I, I will not disclose here on this show, but that doesn't exist anymore either uh, but yeah that was more down to my parents back in the day having aol but oh yeah uh, aol uh, 6.0 like yeah with the I cd think. <laughs> with the installer yes. yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah but uh you know some even might remember that aol once sponsored the name of the hamburg stadion uh, right now oh, yeah. it's called volksbach stadion the aol arena i think it was then we had 10 different names in between but uh yeah, back to uh, me doing the outro, which I will fumble probably at some point. But uh, yeah, you can find me at Chef Humboldt School. You can follow the show at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter. You can reach out to us also via Facebook, which is Facebook slash Yellow Wallpot, or use the contact form on yellowwallpot.com. And uh, look out for our Patreon account, which will go live in the next couple of days if you want to support the show. With a little bit of money, that would be rather swell since uh, there is just a lot of time and money we are investing into this project. And although it's just a hobby more or less, just fun, it would be cool uh, if we get a little bit back since uh, we don't want to put advertisement on our website or on this podcast. So, um, yeah, look out for that. But uh, I think we will have a bit uh, <laughs> a more serious talk about that next week. So, Constantine, thanks once again, and we will 
hear from each other hopefully next week after the Lotto game. Goodbye.